Amen. Thank you, Jimmy, for that. Well, good morning, everyone. If you do have your Bible, please open with me to Daniel chapter 9. It'll be really helpful for you to have that open in front of you as we work through it together. As you turn there, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever been in a place where you've felt lethargic with respect to the things of God? Have you ever had a season like that in your journey? We can have times as Christians where we're hungry for God, where we are walking closely in communion with God. Those times are wonderful. But we can also have times where that appetite and intimacy wanes. Bible reading falls away. Our prayer lives grow cold. Thoughts of God recede from our mind. And we just feel unmotivated in our walk with God. I wonder if you've ever been in that place. Well, if so, what do we do about it? What do we do if we find ourselves in such a place? Well, in this morning's passage, Daniel looks out on the spiritual state of the people of God exiled in Babylon, and he just sees lethargy everywhere. God's people are in a real spiritual slump, and Daniel feels it inside of himself as well. What does he do when he finds himself and his people in a spiritual slump? Does he just wallow, stay there and feel sorry for himself? No. He cries out to God in that state, from that place, and he asks God to bring renewal. Daniel chapter 9 is a record of Daniel's passionate prayer for spiritual renewal for himself and for his people. And it is also an encouraging promise from God that that renewal will come. The renewal he longs for and prays for will come. And once again, as we get into this chapter, let's remember This is not just written to give us an accurate historical record of what Daniel was praying in the 6th century BC. This is the living word of God, written for our instruction to stir us up, to seek renewal in our own spiritual slumps, It's here to point us ultimately to an incredible hope of restoration that we can look for and anticipate in Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work through the first prayer portion of the chapter from verses 1 to 19, and we'll draw out three lessons on how to pray for renewal when you're in a spiritual slump. Then we'll look at the second half of the chapter, the promise of renewal that is coming in verses 20 to 27, and we'll draw out a further three lessons on how to wait for renewal in light of those verses. 
So a prayer for renewal and a promise to help us wait for our own renewal. That's what this chapter is all about. So first, let's look at this prayer portion that's all about crying out to God for renewal. Three lessons. Number one, let your prayers for renewal be driven by God's word, especially his promises. If you find yourself in a spiritual slump, you've got to be driven by God's word and especially his promises. That's what we see in the first three verses. In verse one, as you look down at the text, you'll see that we learn that it's the first year of Darius the Mede. We can date that year to 539 BC. Now, this was the same Darius who we met in chapter six, who threw Daniel into the lion's den. In the midst of this transitional time, with a new king just having been installed, what's Daniel doing? Well, we read in verse 2 that he's studying his Bible. It's a good thing to do in a transitional and unsettling time. Daniel had been in exile, away from his own land, in Babylon, at this point for about 66 years. And he reads this word from God in the book of Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. This is what Daniel was studying. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and I'll bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will restore your fortunes, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you. Daniel's reading that, and he's thinking to himself, I've been 66 years. God said around 70 years. He's going to visit us. He's going to restore us. That we've got to call out to him. We've got to seek him with all our heart. And look in verse 3 at how what Daniel reads stirs him to prayer. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. There's something I want us to see here just before we move on. Daniel is the prophet in the Old Testament who declares God's sovereignty, his reign over all things, perhaps more explicitly than any other Old Testament prophet. He knows that God has said after 70 years, he'll bring them back to Israel. So what does Daniel do? Does he just sit back and say, well, God's got a good plan, so we can all just relax. We don't have to do anything. He's going to bring us back. No, that is not what Daniel does. Daniel knows that prayer moves the sovereign arm of God. And so he prays and he calls on the Lord to do what he promised. His prayer is driven by the promises and sovereign purposes of God. 
He doesn't read what God's going to do and just say, well, we don't do anything. No. He goes after what God has decreed in his word through prayer. And there's a lesson for us here. Understanding the sovereignty of God should never stifle prayer. It should give confidence to prayer. God said in Jeremiah 29 that this renewal would come, but it would come as his people would call on him and seek him with all their heart. Daniel takes God at his word and he stirred up to pray in line with the promises of God. He pleads the promise of God as he prays. And that is a good thing for us to do today. Let me give you an example of one way we can do this. In Jeremiah 32, verses 40 to 42, there is a wonderful promise that God makes about his church, Christians in the new covenant, what he will do for them. Here's Jeremiah 32, 40 to 42. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good for them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. So if you find yourself in a place where you feel like you're drifting away from the Lord, that intensity, that passion that you once knew, it's kind of waning as you push God to the margins a bit and get swallowed up with busyness, you can take a promise like Jeremiah 32 and say, Lord, this is a new covenant. This is for me. You've said you're not going to turn away from doing good to me. You've said you're going to put the fear of me, the fear of you into my heart, that I would not turn away from you. You're going to rejoice to do me good, Lord, and I'm praying that you do what you promised. Oh, Lord, don't turn away from me. Keep doing good to me. Keep putting the fear of you into my heart. Don't let me wander. Or you take a New Testament word like John 14, 21, where Jesus said, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And you say, Lord, I want to know the intimate presence of Jesus in my life. I want the Spirit to bring the presence of Christ and to manifest in a real way the living, risen Christ so when I'm praying, I know I'm in the presence of God. Come and do what you've said. So here's the first lesson from Daniel's prayer for renewal. Let your prayers for renewal be driven by the promises of God. Lesson two. In praying for renewal, create more space for confession of sin and grieving sin. The main bulk of Daniel's prayer from verse 4 to 15 consists of confession and repentance. This is actually one of the most instructive prayers of confession and repentance in the Old Testament, perhaps rivaled only by Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. And I believe this is the area of our prayer lives more than any other where we need to go deeper and where we need to experience freshness. 
our whole area of confession and repentance of sin. Why do I say that? Well, I'm sure you feel this. It is so easy to be quick and trite and superficial when we're praying for forgiveness. It's so easy to say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for Jesus who takes them away. And that's good to do. But we can go much deeper. And I think this prayer instructs us on how at times we should slow down and go deeper as we ask God to help us to repent well from sin. There is nothing trite in the way Daniel confesses his sin and the sin of his people in this prayer. And his prayer here of confession involves three main moves. First, a recognition of who God is. Just listen to this sample from the prayer that we'll move through as we hear Daniel speaking in prayer to God of who God is. Verse 4, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Verse 15, you are the God who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. So as he turns to repent and confess sin, he starts with God in his holiness, God in his power, God in his glory and majesty. But then, second thing that is in this prayer of confession is a recognition of who we are as sinners. Again, listen to this sample. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 6, we have not listened. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Verse 13, we have not entreated the favor of the Lord. Verse 15, right at the end, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So Daniel moves from pondering the glory and majesty of God to thinking of himself and the reality of him and his own people's sins. And then the third part of this prayer consists in a recognition of the judgment we deserve. Look at verse 14. Daniel says, Lord, we're in this state of exile and under your judgment because of our sin. Daniel says, Lord, you are righteous in all the works you have done. He says, we deserve your judgment. Now, what do we learn from this prayer of confession and repentance? Well, I think there's a pattern here for us to follow. When we're praying for renewal, at times, when we come to confess our sin and repent of it, I think it's good to slow down and to spend some time going deeper as we confess sin and repent of it. We recognize God as the holy God who has been so good to us, so faithful, so patient, and so loving towards us. We recognize then our own sin 
our pride, our lack of trust, our wandering, our rebellion, and more than recognize this, we should ask God to help us grieve it. Sometime, just stop and say, Lord, as I confess sin this morning, help me to grieve it, to mourn the fact that I'm not where I'd love to be. I'm not where you want me to be. That I continue to drift from you, that I continue to feel lethargic. Lord, help me not just to confess it, help me to grieve it. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that mourning mourning can be over various aspects of life in a fallen world. But certainly one thing we are to mourn is our continual struggle with sin. And finally, as we do that, we recognize the judgment we would rightly deserve for our sin. God, it would be just for you to condemn me to hell. And then you're in a position to preach to yourself the wonder of grace. But with you, there is forgiveness. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You're ready to say, as I confess this morning, I know what your word says. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And in your confession, you've remembered God, you've remembered your sin, you've remembered judgment that should be yours, and then you remember and taste afresh the beauty of grace. Praying like this will help you not become superficial about your sin. It will help you not belittle the amazing nature of God's grace. There is so much more for you in this area of your prayer life than just a quick, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for Jesus. And that's okay. It's good. We don't have time. I don't think we have the energy to plumb down into grieving our sin all the time. But I would invite you and encourage you to take certain times in prayer where you slow down and you work through this pattern and you grieve sin because it will bring you out into the light of a fresh appreciation of grace. Well, here then is the third lesson from the prayer portion of our chapter. Base your prayer for renewal on the mercy of God and the honor of God's name. In verse 16, Daniel now gets to what he's seeking the Lord to do. He's appealing to the righteousness of God and he asks God to turn away his wrath. In verse 17, he asks God to hear his plea for mercy. And that the Lord would make his face shine again upon his sanctuary and his people. Verse 18. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see. Verse 19. O Lord, hear, forgive, pay attention, act, delay not. You can hear him just crying out, Lord, act, change our circumstances, restore us, renew us. Delay not. And then look at what he bases that prayer on in verses 17 and 19. Two things. First, end of verse 
18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. In the hymn Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, in verse 3, we hear these words. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You come to the Lord and you say, Lord, this morning when I walk through who you are, who I am, the deserving nature of your judgment upon me, and then I remember your mercy, Lord, I've got nothing. I bring nothing in my hands to merit your forgiveness and your grace. Nothing in my hands do I bring this morning. I just come to you and I just cry out for you to have mercy. Mercy alone. Grace alone. On the basis of Christ alone, Father. That's how you pray. And you just taste afresh the calm of sins forgiven. And you just cry out on the basis of mercy. And it's so liberating because no matter what your performance is, how far you've drifted, how far you've fallen, you say, Lord, once again I'm coming and I'm pleading on the basis of your mercy, not on the basis of my performance. Not on what's in me and what's in you, Father. But then look at the second thing Daniel bases his prayer on. It's God's own name, his own reputation. Verse 17, for your sake, O Lord, make your face shine on us. Verse 19, delay not for your name's sake. This city and this people are called by your name. He's saying, Lord, it's your honor that's at stake. For the sake of your own name, revive us. crying out to the Lord for renewal. And he anchors the whole thing in the mercy of God and in the honor of God. That that is how to pray for renewal. So just before we move on to the second half of the chapter, let me just ask, how are you doing at this area of prayer in your own prayer life? Have things got a bit superficial and shallow as you Pray and repent. Maybe this invitation to slow down over your sins of confession could bring you out into a place of fresh appreciation of the gospel. Well, that's the prayer section of our passage. But now in verses 20 to 27, we get the section where Daniel is given a promise about the restoration to come. We get to the juicy stuff. As we work through this section, I want us to see three further lessons now on how we wait for the Lord when we are crying out and longing for renewal. There's some difficult things here. So really lean in and focus and ask the Lord to help you in this moment. Lesson one, how to wait for the longed for renewal. First, know that God hears your prayers and he cares about your concerns. In verse 20, Daniel explains that while he was still confessing, notice what he says, my sin and the sin of my people. And while he's crying out for renewal, 
we're told that an angelic messenger, Gabriel, comes to him in some kind of vision and says to Daniel in verse 22, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. So the angel tells him, Daniel, the Lord has heard you. He sent out this word of reassurance to give you understanding because you're greatly loved. This is so comforting. And this is a comfort that we can receive for ourselves today as Christians. In John 15, 9, Jesus said to his followers, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, get your head around that. Think of that. As the Father has loved me. Divine intensity. Divine power. Divine immensity of love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, abide, live, rest in my love. The Lord may want you to hear this again to say, or or to hear this said to you again today, you are greatly loved. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He said the Father loves to hear his children pray and he loves to give good things to his children. And so just as the angel Gabriel brings this message to Daniel and says, Daniel, your prayer's been heard. This word is a response to your prayer. You are greatly loved. We are to remember as we pray in our own spiritual slump, the Lord hears our cry, no matter how deep down we are. And he loves us. He loves us and his ear is attentive to our cry. So the first thing we've got to learn from this portion of the promise section of the chapter is as we wait for renewal, we must know that the Lord hears us, cares about our concerns. He is interested in our cry. The second lesson that we learn then as we wait for renewal uh, from this chapter is this. We must understand that God works on a grander scale than we could ever imagine. Verses 24 to 27. Let's look down there together. Now, these verses are pretty difficult to understand. In fact, they are among the most difficult to fully understand in the whole Bible. But like any passage like this, What do we do? We need to step back and we need to try to identify the things that are clear or the main point of the passage. And though there are some things that are difficult to understand in this section, the main point of the passage is very clear. God wants Daniel to know that he will bring restoration and all the blessings of the longed-for new covenant but not on the time scale that Daniel envisages. No matter how you interpret that passage, I think that's something that if you're being faithful, we can all 
agree on. Daniel thought to himself, okay, 70 years are nearly up. We're going to be restored to our land again. And all of those promises that Jeremiah spoke of, a new covenant, forgiveness, new hearts, a new desire for godliness, it's all going to come. But God says here, Daniel, not so fast. In verse 24, God essentially says it's not just 70 years and then the fullness of the new covenant restoration. God says it's actually 70 times 7. 70 sevens are decreed for the fullness of the restoration to come about. Now we know in apocalyptic literature, revelation, um, visionary literature in scripture, we're not usually supposed to take numbers literally. So in 24, when you read of that 70 weeks, or literally in the Hebrew, 70 sevens, you're not supposed to really count up and think, right, 70 multiplied by 7 equals 490. 490, is that weeks or weeks of years, or what is it? No, you're not supposed to do that because these numbers are more theologically symbolic. We can be really helped as we turn over to the New Testament to a passage like Matthew 18. Remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. So what was Peter to do there? Think, right, 490 times, I'll forgive. But see that 491st, not a chance. Because Jesus said 70 sevens, that's 490. No, Jesus was saying, Peter, your perspective on forgiveness is too small. And in just the same way, God is saying to Daniel, you thought 70 years and the fullness of restoration is coming? No, your perspective on the restoration and the coming of the new covenant is far too small. Not 70 years, Daniel. There are 77s still to go. And in verse 24, God says to Daniel, in that time period, whatever it means, 77s, that fullness of time until a great year of jubilee and freedom, 77s, in that time, God will accomplish six things. We read them all there in verse 34. He will accomplish all the promises of the new covenant, including the ending of transgression, putting an end to sin, atoning for iniquity, bringing in everlasting righteousness, sealing or fulfilling vision and profit, and the anointing of a most holy place. Now, all of that language is to say God has decreed 70 sets of seven or some kind of whole time period in which he is going to accomplish all the good things that are promised in the new covenant. So, like we saw last week, God is kindly setting Daniel's and his people's expectations. He's saying, settle down. There's a long journey ahead still before the fullness of new covenant blessing is enjoyed. There's still much to be accomplished. You need to be ready for a long, steady, durable discipleship, a long obedience in the same direction. 
the Lord unpacks then in this vision what's going to happen in this period of 77s. And we can break that period up into three sections. In verse 25, we read of a short period of time, seven weeks, before an anointed leader comes who will initially restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, this would have been really encouraging to Daniel. There's going to be restoration and the rebuilding of Jerusalem very soon. I believe this refers to the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem that took place in the days of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel. After a short period of time, the temple, Jerusalem, was rebuilt. And we can read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Then the Lord says there will be a period uh, that is longer, 62 weeks, where Jerusalem and the temple will be extended and developed, but in a troubled time. This seems to speak of the time we know now as the second temple period that takes us up from the point of the rebuilding of the temple to the coming of Jesus. We know that during that time, the temple was built, Jerusalem was built, it was extended, it was developed. The, the temple was extended marvelously by Herod the Great. In the first century BC, we had all those things we talked about last week that made this such a difficult time, the rise of Antiochus IV, one of those leaders who persecuted the Jews and Israel. I think that's what that period speaks of. Then all of this is leading towards the 70th week, the fullness of time, where we read that an anointed one will be cut off in verse 26 and will have nothing. This seems to be a clear reference to the death of Jesus. Isaiah tells us he would be cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. So this whole thing, however we understand it, is all driving towards the hope that is coming with Jesus. Then there in verse 26, we read of another leader to come who would destroy the city and the sanctuary. There would be tribulation and desolation. This seems to speak of the Roman invasion and destruction of the temple under Titus, one of the Roman leaders in AD 70. But look at what happens in that 70th week. Verse 27, the anointed one who was cut off will establish his covenant, bringing an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, as the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, because of Jesus' once for all sacrifice, there would be no longer any offering required for sin. Jesus would be enough. And in that 70th week, tribulation would continue but in the end, the one bringing desolation and tribulation would be brought to a decreed end by God. I believe this speaks of the ongoing conditions of this church age as we await the second coming of Christ when he will bring this age to a close. Now, your head may be spinning a bit from that, and that's okay. Some here who have studied this passage carefully will know just what it means to some people on certain levels about end times theology. Some of you here this morning might not share my interpretation of this passage, but remember the point. Remember the point. God is saying to Daniel, Daniel, I work on a time scale that is beyond your understanding. We can all agree on that. It is so helpful to acknowledge and remember this when we can't understand what God is doing sometimes in our lives. 
It is so easy sometimes as we cry out to God for help, as we cry out to God for renewal, it is so easy to get disheartened when we don't see God acting as quickly as we would like him to. And yet here, this section is here, it's it's here to remind us God's ways are above our ways. He works on a canvas that is far greater than we could ever imagine. We're finite. His ways are above our ways. So we move forward throughout life in humble confidence. Humble because we only have partial understanding of how God will unfold all of his purposes in history. But confidently because we know that he will do what he has promised. And that is the third and final point that I want us to uh, consider and learn from this promised portion of our passage. God will accomplish all he has promised so we can trust him as we wait. In verse 24, we learn that restoration and the new covenant will come about. In verse 27, we learn that there will be tribulation and difficulty and rebellion and sin that marks this age. But we know, because of what God says in that very last verse about the decreed end being poured out on the desolator, a way to say that the end of fallenness, brokenness, all the tribulations of God's people, the end is decreed. It will come to an end and God will bring in the fullness of his kingdom. He will do what he has promised. And one day you can know that you're going to look back over your life and say, not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord God promised us. All have come to pass. Not one promise has failed. We are a people still waiting for renewal. We are a people still hoping in the promise that God one day is going to come and bring full renewal in the coming of Jesus Christ a second time. And in fact, this is how the whole Bible is brought to a conclusion at the end of Revelation. How does the Bible end? It gives us a promise of restoration and a prayer crying out for renewal. Think of those words at the end of the book of Revelation. After the revelation of the full renewal of the heavens and the earth, what do God's people pray? (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus, bring the long-for renewal. And what is the promise given that follows it? Behold, I'm coming soon. So there we have, at the end of Revelation, this simple statement that we, the church, are a people like Daniel and the Old Testament saints, moving through tribulation and difficulty, praying and saying, Lord, how long? Come, Lord Jesus. Bring restoration. And at the end of the Bible, we're left with these ringing words, Behold, I'm coming soon. I will make all things new. And so we, like Daniel and the Old Testament saints, 
We are called to live with humble confidence, with this truth and this hope burning in our hearts as we go into this week. We have partial understanding of how God will bring in the fullness of his kingdom in the end, but we know 100% that that day will come where Jesus will break the clouds and he will bring the full longed-for restoration in his timing. And so what do we do? We press on knowing God will do what he said. He will always do what he has said. So we plead his promises. We cry out for renewal. We wait and we serve the Lord faithfully. I was speaking to Audrey last week and she shared with me uh, something that her friend said to her once to summarize the Christian life. We're called to go quietly on. We go quietly and faithfully on, remaining faithful, remembering that we're called to live with humble confidence as we remember our times are in the Lord's hands. Let's pray. Father, there are some things there that we will have come away understanding clearly. And there may be some things that we feel still a bit blurry on. But Father, thank you for the central message of this chapter. A prayer for renewal when in a slump. And a promise that the day of renewal will come. We will taste it often in little renewals during our lives. Times of great spiritual refreshment and revitalization. But Lord, we know that there is an ultimate day of renewal and restoration to come. The new covenant has been inaugurated with the first coming of Christ. But the fullness of the promised blessing will come when Christ returns. And so till that day, help us to go quietly on. To be faithful prayerful, hopeful, humble, and confident. Getting on with what you have called us to, being salt and light just where you have placed us. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning and they're, they feel that they're in a spiritual slump and they don't even know if they've ever been a Christian or maybe they're here and they're not a Christian but they're interested, I just pray that they would even realize that from that place where they are, they can cry out to you for renewal, forgiveness, and new life. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have any more questions or anything you'd like to discuss about any parts of the sermon, please do grab me at the back. I'd be very happy to try and clarify anything that remains a bit cloudy for you afterwards. For now, we're going to respond by singing of the higher throne the reign of God over all things. As the musicians begin, let's stand and make this our response.
Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.